OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now, you know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if you don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, Champions Cup weekend in store. We have uh, plenty going on. Keith Wood, good evening, long time. Hello, Happy New Year. Hiya, Joe. Happy New Year to you. Gordon Darcy, similarly, great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Joe. Great to be here. Hey, Woody. Hiya, Gordon. The talk of the town is Owen Farrell this afternoon in the rugby world. He is, uh, it looks like now, available for Six Nations. This following the tackle on Jack Clement against Gloucester on Friday where in, I think, a fashion we've seen from Owen Farrell before. The arms were low, the shoulder was high. So six weeks was the mid-range entry point. The uh, sighting hearing was yesterday. A mitigation brought that down to four matches. He didn't get as much mitigation as others would, given that he had a five-week suspension for a similarly dangerous tackle back in September 2020. I don't really know what what mitigation incorporates I, I actually genuinely do think it extends to helping old ladies cross the street and, and, and just your general um, uh, demeanour as a citizen but mitigation took him down to four weeks that is reduced to three weeks if he attends tackle school as everyone calls this World Rugby programme so down to three weeks if he attends tackle school and then the other interesting uh, point in all this the uh, Bristol game on January 28th that would be one of the three games he would miss However, if he's named in the England squad by Steve Borthwick, then he wouldn't be due to play in that game anyway. None of the England squad named would play in that game. Therefore, there is a deep suspicion that Steve Borthwick will uh, omit Owen Farrell from the England squad and then will be included belatedly. Bottom line, he will play against Scotland, I think, is uh, what we're saying. Uh, First question, Gordon. What will he learn at tackle school that he doesn't already know? (laughs) Very little. Very little. Um, It's like... You know, it's uh, it's a it's it's uh, it is a step. I wouldn't say it's a big step or anything in in the right direction. Trying to educate tacklers on this, but like if you're asking an outside party to be doing it, how they're not being coached on this at their club is you know is is beyond me. It is like listen, it's the system. You know, don't hate the system. It is there. You know, I don't. You know, it 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 is it is what it is. You know, it's this quirk of the system. He's going to miss it. He could play in the Bristol game for some bizarre reason and they've picked it as a game um, like Owen Farrell isn't going to change his tackle technique um, I remember being tackled by him and it's the exact same thing he goes for a an impact tackle but him and Johnny Wilkinson had really really similar uh, tackle technique in that but it's it's the most impact and trying to stop you on the game line um, and like I remember, I can't remember who was in like Moody or somebody like that at seven, and having to be upright receiving a tackle from him. And oh my goodness, he hits like so hard, pound for pound. Same with Wilkinson, but it's that he's looking for this area to stop you dead, and it's just that's the way he's tackled his whole life, and he's not going to change. And that was mirrored into that tackle at the week. Weekend, his knees are bent. He's gone into it, but look where he's looking for the the contact. It's again, it's here. It'd be so much easier for him to be looking to go, you know, a couple of inches or you know around the waist in there. But that means you lose that contact, and that's just not in his mentality. Mm. And do you suspect Gordon coaches will advise him not to change? I wouldn't say it is. Uh, coaches can advise all they want. He's had one ban in 
you know, in recent memory. So like, I think there's the, we kind of have to like, there's two things really, isn't it? It's the head collision thing that is happening in parallel to the whole conversation around rugby. And as a really prominent rugby player, you would think he should be setting a better example. There's the other side of thing. He doesn't have a very bad record, despite what we look and what we see. So you kind of have to judge the two things a little bit separately, I think. True. He is entitled to play on the edge, Keith. Yeah, he is entitled to play on the edge. And it's the the, the last point there from, from Gordon being... Um, that he doesn't have um, a bad record. He doesn't. He, um, like all fans would say, probably gets away with a lot. Um, uh, he has an upright tackle technique, as does Johnny Sexton, in very different, um, looking for different results, actually. So, um, again, Gordon's view on Wilkinson. I would have said Wilkinson had an extraordinary technique, and he did go for the higher tackle, but it wasn't chin high. So he did go across the chest to stop you dead. And he, his technique was so, um, so clear that he gave away very few penalties. I mean, penalties at all. And there's no thought for it. Um, um, Farrell is plays it on the edge all the time. <clears throat> and I disagree with Gordon on part of the process. Part of the issue that we have with this is that the process took an age to figure it out on the field. So actually, he could have been reprimanded and red carded on the field as it stood, which would have been a red card. That's what it's shown up here. But because it didn't fit into the um, one main phase of play and that the ball hadn't gone out, um, and the terminology being a bit of confusion between the TMO and the referee over what constituted a phase. And we would have always said that a phase was for each breakdown, but actually within this element of law, the phase is while the ball is in play. Um, So there was a little bit of confusion in terms of that. And then, look, we said this at the first one at the start of this season, we just said, could rugby stop eating itself alive? Could it stop doing daft things? So, we now have a loophole that's built into this, which plays into the minds of the conspiracy theorists in terms of what's happening with the game or not with the game, that it depends on which game is a true game or not. And I'm going to say back in the not too distant past, four weeks was four weeks, irrespective of what was happening in there. There can be an element one week taken off. Absolutely fine. I've no issue with it. I think the idea of tackle school for a seasoned international seems to be a little bit daft. The one good part of that is if if he re-infringes, uh, mm. um, they pretty much throw the book at you because you've already been to tackle school. You don't go back there again. So, <laughs> But look, I just think it's a bit clunky. Yeah. So that's the way I would look at it. The process is the process, but the process is far from perfect. Just the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you both saw Manu Tuolagi's hitting Tommaso Allen. Allen went off in a stretcher. He kind of fumbled the ball and, and he did, in fairness, dip down to try and regather the ball and Tuolagi's shoulder connected with him uh, very strongly on the chin. So it was quite a divisive one. Some certainly thought that he had a duty of care and it was reckless and ultimately made contact with the head and, and, and had time to adjust and therefore was very, very lucky that Wayne Barnes saw it as more of a, 
a rugby moment and and didn't uh, punish Tuilagi. In fact, I think Tommaso Allen, as he was going off in a stretcher, would have realised, or maybe he didn't realise, I don't know how badly he was injured, but he was actually penalised for the knock-on as opposed to Tuilagi. But there was that Tuilagi incident and there have just been a few over the last couple of weeks, Gordon. Uh, Johnny Sexton wasn't cited. Uh, Keen Healy initially sent off and then because he more absorbed the tackle then was aggressive in the tackle despite the head hit that was overturned there was a, a one in the sale Ulster game I would just say the last five six weeks as a viewer I've gone from feeling pretty clear cut in, in having a feeling for what is and isn't a red card to now seeing a far less consistent picture I feel there's a, a, a softening in the application of the law as I thought I had understood it yeah, and like Woody's kind of his his, uh, his his choice of words is very apt. If we really would love to see rugby stop trying to eat itself and the conspiracy theorists, because this is just brilliant for them. My kind of just feeling on, on rugby at the moment is we can't have a grey area at the moment because we are players are not changing their behavior behaviors and their tackle techniques going into this. Like giving Owen Farrell a six week um uh tackle or a penalty, giving sorry, not Owen Farrell, and not put any names, but giving any player um that goes is making reckless contact with the head a six week that's going to be mitigated down, like that's not enough for players to change their behavior, considering if it's, you know, one tackle out of you know, twenty or thirty on the edge tackles. It's it's just it's just not enough for players to want to change their change their behavior because he's it's he's not changing his 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 approach to it. So if players aren't doing that, like what what are we what are we what are, what are we doing? We're not. They're kind of going into it, and you're kind of going, oh, that's a rugby moment. It's not a rugby moment at the moment. We can't have those clauses at the moment. It has to be that's a red card. Manu Langi is absolutely reckless in going at that. And I stopped it just before he hits Tommaso uh, Allen. Um, and yeah, Tommaso Allen is reaching forward. But if he has that ball fully gathered, there's no guarantee that it's still not going to be a direct hit to his, uh, you know, into his chest that's going straight up into his head. He has no control over his body going into that contact. So he has left zero margin for error. That to me is is a, is, is, is a red card. Like we've, we're still... We're, we're assuming innocence from the tackler um, and not the ball carrier. So I think that like the balance just seems to be so wrong at this. And until we just kind of go, lads, straight red card, minimum sanction has to go way up. We're still going to be having this conversation for a, a, a long time to come, Joe. Mm-hmm. Keith? Yeah, I, I, the innocence is a, an interesting word. And it, I, I looked at that and I said red card straight away. Immediately the impact was just, it was a kind of touch shoulder um um, well, he wasn't even looking at where he was tackling. No, no, no. I, 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 I looked at this. I looked at it again and again and again. Oh, and uh, I listened to Wayne Barnes, um, um, who I'm a fan of as as a, as a referee. I think he's become very good in the last number of years. Um, and I listened to his argument, and um, I look. I agree with we we can't have the grey area for me. But the reason I'm talking about the innocence or not. For me, I didn't think there was any sense of control in him running. He was running to make a, a good, very heavy contact, um, but it was all or nothing. And once there was a juggle of a ball, then there's a high level of risk. And so the risk goes for everybody there, for himself and for the other, um, and for uh, Tommaso Allen. And 
So look, I would say it's it's hard because it's putting people under huge pressure and it's how are you able to determine if someone's head is virtually on the ground and you make a, a contact with it. I don't know, actually. And I think that that area of grey that's in there makes it very difficult. But in there, I just didn't think it wasn't that there was no time to make the adjustments. He was going at such speed that if any if any adjustment happened on behalf of the catcher, he wasn't going to be able to make any move. He wasn't in control. So yeah. for me, that level of control, I don't know if you remember um, Conway was extraordinary at the at the chases. But he used to knock himself out half the time when the ball was kicked up. He'd, he'd clatter into people. And eventually he just started taking an extra step so that he'd wait until he got to that position. He'd either get up, get into the air, get, get the ball, or wait for the guy to hit the ground and hit him and tackle him safely. You know, you want all the players to finish the game. That's one of the things we need to get our head around, excuse the pun, and I don't think we are properly. And... If I just touch on Johnny for one second, Johnny had to get a sanction for that because of the manner in which he went into technique. I think it would only have been a yellow card because an awful lot of it was a soak to him and there wasn't a whole lot he could do. But he has to not stand in that position to make the tackle. That's the that's the behavior change that you're looking. As it was, it's a risk to him, but it's also a risk to the other player because it's head-on-head contact. Mm. Uh, just a final thought on all this, Gordon, as we head into the Six Nations, a marquee period for the sport, very high profile period for the sport. There's been uh, the Farrell saga and discussion. There's been the Tuolagi moment and, and a few other examples I mentioned. Uh, what are you anticipating from referees and siding commissioners across the Six Nations? More the same or will there be a, you know, sitting up a bit straighter in our chairs kind of atmosphere? Uh, like there's always a briefing that goes out from the referees and all the coaches will meet with them and they'll have this, you know, kind of five, six page document that'll be given out to all the players, the hot bits, the hot focuses that referees will be will be looking at. It's hard to see them not it's hard to see them breaking away from what's currently happening because all these referees, um, they're refereeing domestically, are gonna be refereeing internationally. Um so like you know, the Southern Hemisphere's refs come up if they have a different slant on it. I can't, to be honest, I can't see it changing. It's it seems to it seems to go ebb and flow about the focus on it, and there doesn't seem to be a massive focus on it at the at the moment, um, because like it's a fundamental actually issue, Joe. Because if you take all of those contacts, and if you say Owen Farrell in his one, and he doesn't go high, and he drops his body height, and he loses that momentum, and that prop gets an offload, and Gloucester score from that. Is that not the game that we're trying to breed and trying to watch? And Tommaso Allen catches that ball. Tiolangi has to take that step. A, a, a Conway, as Keith is saying, and he's able to jink around and create something, an, an attack, more attacking game. Mm. And then if players are able to create these big hits within the game, not lower, then that's that's what we're trying to like move towards. But like we are light years away from that, and we're still allowing tacklers to. Um, not free reign, but we're allowing them too much room for error, margin for error. And I don't see that massively changing in the Six Nations. I will say maybe the coaches, and what you might think, like losing players to red cards in the Six Nations could have a big impact. Look, that's one of the ones I, I can't understand why it hasn't happened more. And so the idea is that you do want to make impact tackles. But if you are going to make an impact tackle, you should be aiming unbelievably low and like not not in the ankles and you have to wrap your arm. But I mean, you need to be looking 
at the waist if you're going to go at full pace. Otherwise, you're having to pick your, your moment a little bit more. That is a very difficult change. I mean, I don't step away behind this. I had this argument with David Walsh at one stage and we were talking about late hits and he'd said, look, the ball's gone, it's late. But if you're committed to the tackle, was my argument. This is about four or five years ago. If you're committed to the tackle, um, you can't stop at the tackle. And his argument, which I'm beginning to lean uh, closer to now, is that you need to be in a position where you make the tackle, but that maybe the power of that tackle cannot be all or nothing. And um, I think it's a, a topic for another day. I think it's it's trying to get your head around how can you make that change without dramatically changing the game away from what it is with the exception of making it safer. Okay, we'll push on for the time being. Let's turn to the provincial action ahead of a European weekend and off the back of a URC weekend. Uh, Just to drag you two uh, briefly into a conversation from Monday Night Rugby, Rory O'Connor and I in particular, on the back of an interview between Graeme Rowntree and Paul Kimmage had been uh, remarking that in our experience, and Rory's more so than mine, but I've had one or two uh, moments, it must be said, we had found Munster's relationship with the media, not so much the players as individuals, by the way, who were all uh, very, very good to deal with. And, you know, you'd interview Keith Earls and he'd be extraordinary and, and that would apply to several of them. But just Munster as a as an organisation is uh, tricky to deal with from media point of view and, and very, very spiky. Uh, so credit where it's due, because Murray Kinsel here in the 42, uh, he writes today, Munster threw open the doors at Thelman Park yesterday and welcomed a handful of journalists to watch their training session. This is a real rarity in the modern game. And he went on to say, main chunk of yesterday's session saw the players split into three teams of 15. Sides were rotating in and out as two of them played against each other at all times. There were almost no pauses in the frenetic action. It wasn't full contact rugby, but it was hugely physically demanding. And it was all akin to the uh, Tuesday sessions in Leinster, Munster of their own name, Chaos Games. And he outlined various points which were hugely interesting, you know. So it was Lashing Rain, Mike Prendergast to the fore. That it was Lashing Rain isn't interesting. Mike Prendergast uh, to the fore, Dennis Leamy to the fore, Ian Costello. Uh, very vocal and then Rentree far more hands-on around the scrum as you might expect. Dennis Leamy quoted as saying uh, from the start of the season it's chalk and cheese. Uh, we're moving so much better and the data tells us that as well. It's a very exciting time. So kudos uh, to Munster. I think that's, it's a great thing to do. It's a nice little insight which backs up what we're seeing generally. Um, so I wanted to mention that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on maybe we're being a touch harsh on Munster's press dealings, Keith. Uh, I, do, I don't think so. I um, I think Munster played, played the ste- siege mentality better than most. Mm. And I think it seemed to get ingrained, ingrained into everybody over the last number of years. <clears throat> and uh, I think they've been uncomfortable with it and have reacted badly to it in the face of what they would consider at times to be an anti-Munster bias. It, you know, and it always works that way when things aren't going well for you, there's everybody's biased against you. So, there, you know, there's an element of truth in all of it, maybe, that they were feeling hard done by and getting hammered too often. Um, but it has to change, and it had to change on behalf of Munster first and foremost. And uh, every single sporting franchise, every team needs the media to talk about them. And if it, they're only talking negative about them because you refuse to talk to them, that's a big problem. So, look, I think Roundtree for 
for the most part, has has played a blinder uh, since he's come in. Mm. Um, I think he said very early different things that he wanted to do. When you listen to some of Leamy's chalk and cheese comments, it's the fact that they weren't fit enough to play the game that they wanted them to play, and they suffered for that at the start. Um, I think they're making really good steps. I, I think at times some of the chat has been as if they've made... 15 steps when they may have made five, but I think they're on the right trajectory, which is good. Yeah. Um, but I do, I look, I, th- I still think Roundtree is, 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 he's kind of bringing an awful lot of people with him. And it's interesting to see an English guy. Now he's a bit of an old school guy, um, but an English guy, but from a team that would be very similar in, 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 um, in the past to Monster, I think he has and understands the attributes that he wishes for and he understands the link he wants to have with all the supporters. And he also knows that the media is part of that story. Uh, Gordon, you're not, you're, I presume you're not terribly surprised to hear that this Monster coaching ticket have looked at Stu's days and said, right, well, we'll implement our chaos games, three teams, two in at all time, frenetic, let's move, move, move. I mean, there's nothing overly revolutionary about that, but clearly Munster weren't doing it for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, like I think, like I'd say, when Graham Rowntree took over, um, there was so many things needed attention. And I'd say the media was so far down that list. It was, as we'll get to you when we, when we, we want it, because there's, 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 they don't, there were so many things, yeah, just so many things that needed to, uh, needed to get done. But they, and I think what Munster have been uh, showing is, they've been showing that progress, as Keith was saying. And when they address one thing in a game, you can see the development in it, uh, but then they address something else, maybe in another game or two games, and the f- previous thing they were addressing falls down. So there's so many things that need to go, but you're seeing that steady progression from them. Um, and now, you know, and uh, a, a good a good coach, a good person knows what they what they don't know, and by all accounts, he seems to be giving all his coaching staff their 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 time and their and their their own space to deal with what they're doing. And like it's only positive for Munster, and um, you know they've. They, they've needed a few games to click for them and it hasn't really clicked, but they've gotten aspects of the performance and they've got results. Mm. So they're definitely on the right path. And yeah, I'm, you know, um, I think he's a, he's a, Wig is a good, he's a good fella. And I'm, you know, I'm quietly happy for him down there and excited that because, you know, Ireland need, Leinster need all the things. They need more competition in the, in the province. They need a strong monster team. And it looks like there's, um, Green shoots or red shoots, whatever you want to call it in there. Well, they've taken 20 of 25 points in the URC. They play Northampton. It's a 3.15 kickoff on Saturday. And if they get five points, bonus point win against Northampton, then that will really take all the pressure off their uh, final game against Toulouse away on Sunday week. Gordon, I saw in the Irish Times you were just uh, making the observation in terms of uh, selection. Uh, really a couple of interesting decisions over the next few weeks. We'll, we'll get an insight into where Roundtree sees things. So even at nine... There's Craig Casey, there's Conor Murray, there's Paddy Patterson. Uh, you made the point they've looked more direct with Fekitawa in the centre, but then there's been that uh, Jack Crowley as a second playmaker option, which they've used on occasion. You said actually Mike Haley at fullback is probably the only player who has his position nailed down. Yeah, and again, this is you know this is me looking at rugby, and I'm just a huge fan. I think they look at different proposition with him at 15. It's a natural 15. He is the second distributor. He's incredibly creative. He beats the first player, and he's very very good under the under the high ball. He's been very consistent and um, in 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 one aspect, and then very unpredictable for Munster in in, in the most positive sense. Um, 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see because every, I suppose, every coach wants selection headaches. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see. Munster should win this game at a canter um, this weekend. Everything being even, they should win this game. Um, um, not at a canter, but they should win this. Yeah. They should have been able yeah. to wrap up five points. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see who do they pick at nine because Paddy Patterson has gone very, very well. Um, in the last, in his, uh, in his, in his, in his games, um, I think Fedicola, the directness he gives them is going to be is very, very important. Um, but who plays? You know, you would, you would, I would think Carberry is going to start. You know, has Crowley? You know, has that Christmas period kind of gotten away from him? Has he done enough to demand a starting uh, place uh, this weekend? And I'm not really sure he has. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what team comes out this and, weekend. Uh, I, I, what about Anton Frisch? Would he be pretty close to nailing his place down now? Yeah, I think like, but I said that's why I think he will. He was sorry, I, I didn't um, uh, didn't uh, name check in, but I would say see him starting at thirteen, okay. um, and uh, Fedekova going in. Logically, to me, looks looks like he has, you know, he was hasn't featured. Um, whatever's happening, maybe you know the, you hear the rumor mill. Maybe they want him to, they want to move him on, but he's they've looked at different proposition with him there, so it's hard to see. You know, if they really want this five pointer, not having those two in the in the center. Yeah. Uh, one last point, Keith. Sorry, I'll come to you on, on all of this. Then one last point I wanted to put to you. I thought it was very interesting, Gordon. A couple of weeks back, everybody's been um, uh, uh, celebrating, I suppose, Jack Crowley's ar- arrival. And I thought, in fairness to you, uh, you know, saying what you think, you know, and, and you made the point that uh, Crowley, you said, there's a real immaturity to aspects in his play. And you didn't say he's a bad player. In fact, you talked about his many good aspects. And actually, frankly, it would be weird if he didn't have aspects of immaturity to his play. That'd be stunning. Uh, but I haven't heard anybody else really make that point. You might expand on, on what you're talking about. Um, yeah, he is a natural attacker and he has an awful lot of pedigree coming through with the underage. Um, and what I'm not sure the management of games is as scrutinised or as required. Um, I don't think he has enough game time at this level and um, I think he gets too involved into games. And one of the things I think you need is you need certain players to be slightly removed from what's happening in the in the moment. Um, and I picked one of the one of the one of the um, one of the monster one of the, the neck roll where he gave out where he uh, gave a penalty away. That there's no there is no scenario where a ten needs to be running into that rook. He needs to be trusting his forwards to be um, delivering that rook or his players around him and be thinking on that bigger picture. Um, and I just think he's so excited running around. Like I use the um, the saying that he's running around with his hair on fire. So excited, so eager, so many, so many positive things, so many positive things. But there is that little bit where Joey Carberry is not, um, say, the direct comparison to Joey Carberry. Joey Carberry's lost maybe a little bit of that uh, spark, a little bit of shine. But he controls the game. He manages it. He's thinking two, three phases ahead. And I just think Crowley has missed that opportunity to deliver on that, uh, which would have been so brilliant to see that meteoric rise, done everything, everything's fall from, done everything he's asked. And then that composed, almost um, boring compor- uh, performance uh, when he went in at 10, but the team wins and he's the facilitator. That was that was what I felt he needed to deliver. Okay. Keith, lots in uh, various points. Okay, if, if, covered, if we go so on the tens in. first for, yeah. for a little Cause, bit. Because actually on Crowley, by the way, when he played for Ireland, one of the, the points made as a compliment to him was he came in and didn't try and overextend himself and, and, and did play a calm, assured type role. 
Uh, I thought Ireland played him in that fashion. They played him deep and they didn't play him flat on the line. And actually, um, that means he, he gets into the game so that he's not under as much pressure to make some of his decisions and his decision making becomes easier, but it's not as effective for the team. Right. Um, uh, I do think at times under pressure, he drifts back a little bit and um, you can get away with that at different times. But uh, in Munster, I do think Munster need a 10 that's closer to the game line. And I am reminded with Gordon's comment there, I was kind of smiling back a, a lot of years. And every time I saw Raj run past me to hit a rook, I knew there was something mad going on because he'd get involved. And there's a little bit of the similarity with them. Uh, I think he's got really good skills. I agree 100% with Gordon that he needs to play more rugby. And the more he plays, the better he'll be. Munster have been getting him on the field at 12 and 10 a little, um, but he is there as a 10 and he needs to be able to play more at a 10. I'd say for Joey, I think Joey plays really well for Ireland because he can fit into that system. And I think he's the number two in the country because of that. He fits into that system pretty well. He can think his way through it. Um, I would like to see him get the spark back a little bit more and we may never do it. But even with that, he plays very well with Munster, not quite as well, because that system isn't as uh, mature or as refined as he is used to with Ireland. So I think that's kind of interesting. And we didn't talk about Ben Healy. And I'm still very disappointed that um, that that hasn't been rectified, that we would keep um, a young guy through the system. He may not be on the radar at the moment, but he plays and he has an impact. And I don't like to see those players disappear. Um, if I jump to one other point and only one point yes. um, for Haley at at uh, at fifteen, I think he's secure under the high ball. I think his elusive running is fantastic, and the criticism I give on him or put on him and our monster and how they deal with him is he's not making the the final pass. So he is elusive. He runs, but he ends up holding onto the ball into contact. Um, it gets turned over a bit in contact. And is that because guys are not understanding his running style, his elusive running, and they're not getting onto the end of it or not? Um, you know that if it was New Zealand, Aaron Smith would be there because you'd always have a nine running to pick up whoever it is that's cutting through the line. That isn't happening. So he he needs to be able to pass earlier or the monster players need to be on his shoulder for the offload at contact because um, he's doing so much good work. It could be unbelievable if he gets that pass away before contact. Okay, interesting one. On Ben Healy, I was listening to uh, the Left Wing podcast and Will Slattery was uh, making the point that the reporting seems to be Healy did have a conversation with Andy Farrell and Farrell, I would say to his credit, was probably pretty honest about where he saw Healy's future and Healy, to his credit, said, well, you know what, I'm not content to just wear the tracksuit and be second, third choice and, 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 and see at my career this way. I'm going to try and do something bigger. Is that not, you know, you know you'd like to keep everyone around. Um, you said you're disappointed. Is it almost not a, a, a very mature uh, solution to the situation in some respects? I'm not disappointed in him. Sorry, Gordon. I'm not disappointed in him. Um, I'm disappointed that we're not able to hold um, uh, young talent that's coming through. And... Um, uh, I think he's gone to a place that wants him. And it's a very short career. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, you, you make whatever decisions that you have. But if you're holding on for the 
um, the potential that somebody might actually think it clicks into place for you. It's not to say that you're not putting the effort in, but if you're not on the list, you know, you have to make a decision. So I, I think that's what happened. So um, I'm saying from an Irish rugby perspective. Yeah, I'm and I'm, 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 I'm sorry, I was making the point. I think Andy Farrell, it seems, slight health wording with this, but Irish rugby by extension was probably pretty honest with Healy about where they saw him. I, I think so. And he's made the decision yeah. to go elsewhere. So, you know, the disappointment, keep a guy, to, to what end? Why keep him if he's not deemed good enough? Well, I, I think, look, I would say this consistently when we're talking about young players, and I'd like Gordon's kind of input on this, but when I think of young players, it's like doctors differ and patients die, but coaches differ and players are out of you know, out of it, and look, Gordon knows that better than most. Back in, in in the early in the early years, coach thinks something different of you. Doesn't happen. You don't get picked. Um, then that coach changes. You do get picked. You do get a chance and an opportunity. Mm. So, I think Irish rugby has to be considered to be very different than just the uh, national coach. And to and I think Farrell has done a phenomenal job. I mean, I've there's so little criticism there. But, um, you know, you have to, it's not just Ireland, it's also Munster. And how do you manage it? Can you manage that any way differently? And I, look, I don't know, but I'm disappointed. I mean, I'm not, I'm not heaping blame on people, but mm. I am saying we keep talking about trying to develop our own talent. And in Munster, we're really trying talking about it. And then we develop somebody. He plays pretty well. He's not the finished article by any stretch of the imagination, but we don't find um, a slot for him and he's gone. That's for me, is disappointing. Fair enough. Gordon, quick word on, on the Healy affair from Irish rugby's perspective. I think we understand and respect Healy's yeah, perspective. Yeah, it's like, I think, Keith, you're kind of, something happened to me similar. I remember, like, um, after about nine months, things not going well for me in Leinster, my first year, and Ulster rang me, offered me, th- like, everything, senior contract, all the thing, more than, like, more than I could ask for. I remember saying to Mike Rodick, and he just turned around to me and said, yeah, you can take that or you can stay here and fight for your place. And uh, like it, ju- it was, it was a lovely bit of, uh, you know, coaching, um, but by him and I, there was no way I could, I could walk away from, from that uh, kind of a, a challenge. Now that's nothing to do with Ben Healy. It was a different time, mm-hmm. but as you say, coaches change and you have to evolve to them. Like when Cheka came in, he was very clear. He said, this is what I want from you. You know, Joe comes in, Joe, what do you want from me? And and you would change and evolve your game. I, I wonder, there is a financial re- thing to this as well. And let's, let's probably, you know, look at it and go, Scotland and Edinburgh are offering more than it was on the table here. Forget about even the international side of things. But I think one of the things is the, the, the thing we have been trying to do is the movement of players within Ireland. Yeah. Like Jerry, Jerry Flannery played in Connacht. He goes back to Munster and he, you know, wins, you know, a Grand Slam tours on a Lions. Players have gone to Connacht and have come back, and you know, and and other and vice versa have gone uh, around the houses. You would have think in particularly maybe Connacht and in Ulster, could there have been room there in the short term? Because we've, we've clearly said he's not the finished article, and maybe that's the bit we probably could we have thought a bit more laterally around and going because I think your frustration is you know obviously very narrowly about keeping him in Munster but it's also about maybe keeping him in the system could that have been done a little bit better yeah but but even within Munster if if Carberry goes we need two out halves if you know to, to Ireland if Crowley goes on a steeper trajectory we need another out half so are we going to actually have to go out outside now to get another out half 
That's where, the, you know, this is where... Nick Flannery probably come back from Ulster. You never, you never, you never yeah, know. But, I mean, but again, you're, you're then going back, starting back to again, as someone who'd gone away and is coming back. It's just, it's a difficult one. And I do think the financial element will probably be contingent on him declaring for Scotland. I think that also makes some level of sense that that would be part and parcel. Okay, we'll see how it plays out. We're going to take a very short break and get final thoughts from the two lads on Leinster and Ulster. Rugby and Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Back for final thoughts in just one moment. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. You're welcome back. Keith Wood, Gordon Darcy still with us. For the purposes of time, I'm going to stay Champions Cup, which is just Leinster and Ulster Connacht, obviously, in Challenge Cup action. And we talked about them on Monday evening. So Saturday lunchtime, it's Gloucester-Leinster. And then half past five Saturday, it's La Rochelle hosting Ulster. Uh, this competition is at a point now, Keith, um, uh, probably not one we're all fans of, whereby most teams are still in with a chance of qualification. This Gloucester game is of particular interest. Uh, they, in a very uh, high-profile way, sent a second-string side to be hammered in Dublin. Uh, their thinking being this new format keeps us in the hunt. Let's target Leinster at home. They shipped a lot of criticism. Uh, a win against Leinster would fully vindicate them. So I'm very curious to see, Gloucester, what you're going to throw at us. Yeah, as am I. And I look, I don't... I wasn't criticising them as much as other people for the very simple reason. Again, we go back to structure or process. I just think the structure, this is... Is, is a bit of an arse. Um, <laughs> you know, so trying to get the best out of it. If you, if you know you can win two matches and qualify, you probably target your home games when your bread and butter is the, is the premiership. And that makes it difficult. That may be unpalatable with an Irish eye, but that actually is the reality. And it's been the reality in France for a long time. Um, I think they'll put up a very, uh, stern view to it and I don't think it'll be enough. I think Leinster have more than enough um, in their capability and relish the chance of playing away knowing that they have a chance to tidy everything up now. They can just do all that. That's, I think it, it's Leinster all the way but I think Gloucester will be tough. Gloucester are quite bitter themselves at the moment partly because of Farrell and losing that one to the drop goal at the end after that high head hit. Um but I look, it's one of the great occasions actually playing at the shed. It's like, and I would say it for people who have never been there or fans of the game to go there for a big game is amazing. I mean, it's baying for blood. It's a fantastic place to go for a game. Um, but equally, I think Leinster just relished that chance and opportunity. Gordon, last couple of weeks, Jordan Larmer started to remind people of his rugby existence. So how close is he to being some kind of strange thing to say about a guy with 30 plus caps, but some kind <clears> of bolter at international level? Um, I don't think he's probably at that at that stage just yet. He's right. Getting getting back into the into the into the Leinster. I think there's other players are. Um, there's there's always this funny quirk in international, regardless of what happens in the November, sorry, December and January. Strong form is always considered and carried by coaches from November to the selection for the Six Nations. So, um, I wouldn't say he's done enough, um, to. Put himself ahead of maybe uh, any of the incumbents. Okay. Um, 
it's great to see him back and it's like listen when you see that footwork you kind of go you realize um that game breaking ability um i'd say just by purely just with uh bodies needed on the ground um not purely sorry that's that was a a lazy way of saying he will start this weekend um but you know no better game to put himself into the into the front runner the guy i'm the the guy i'm really interested for this weekend will actually be Jamie Osborne to see starting 12, 13 and the potential for a, like there's a, there's a, there's more than likely going to be a hole there um, or an opportunity there um, come the Six Nations. And I'm so impressed with this kid every time he steps in the field. He looks comfortable in 12 and 13. Um, and, you know, could they start him and Harry Byrne in that 10, 12 axis? I would love to see it with Gibson Park. Um, and I think Leinster could, could really, really um, backline could click with that. What is it about Osborne? Uh, it's just he has it. Like I can't give you any an example. He makes really good decisions, um, really strong decisions. He's got a good skill, good skill set. Like you know, um, the best players. It's not the rabbit out of the hat. It is the simple decisions at the right time, at the right moment. And he does it time and time again. When does he pass? When does he not pass? When does he carries? When does he show? When does he makes his... He's still learning in his reading and defence, but he has everything big, uh, ranging kick. Um, and is look com- comfortable in both positions. And um, I really I think he gets a run with ring rows and um, it could be, you know, he could he could uh, make a late charge in that position. for Definitely um, Andy Farrell will be having a look. Okay, interesting. La Rochelle have Ulster. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Keith, what to say at this stage. This thing has uh, gone from wobble to full-blown crisis in a way I didn't hear anybody predicting before the Leinster match. Jared Payne's absence as defence coach is now being talked about as a very significant issue. It, w- it seemed to be less of an issue at the start of the season. Uh, they lost to Bennett on after putting themselves back in the game and, and being ahead against 14 men and couldn't hang on for those final few moments as improved as Bennett on our at home. That's five and six. Do you play your full strength team away to La Rochelle? Do you, do you regroup? Uh, do, do you have to play your way back into form? Like, what the hell do you do if you're Dan McFarland? You've broken glass. You've called them soft publicly two weeks ago. Like, I don't know how this gets fixed now. Um, I think you play the best team that you have at your disposal and you play as well as you can and you play with as much pride as you can and you leave it all on the field and uh, it an awful lot comes down in the manner in which you play and the manner in which you perform. That has to be the change. I, like going over there looking for a win, I don't know that that's going to happen. And I think that they're very vulnerable. Um, and there was an awful lot talked up about this young backline in particular at the start of the season and they all played very well. Well, they've had a couple of kicks to that uh, image of themselves and that notion of themselves as very good players. And they have to remember that what was good at the, at the end of last year and at the start of this season is still skills that they have. They just need to go out and prove it again for every minute of 80 minutes. And and it could be in a losing cause of this side, but it's all about the manner of it. And um, they have just been, ever since the Leinster game, when they got absolutely gutted in the second half against 14 players, they have looked um, as if they're doubting themselves. And actually, if the if the talk that was about them, they don't believe it themselves. Well, they have to try and find that belief again. I think it's, I think it's not a really nice thing to watch a team kind of unspool and mm. um, and th- and everything has just kind of fallen just wrong for them. And they need a little bit of luck, but they also need to get a sense of performance. 
Gordon, how good are they? I mean, like, did we overrate them when things were going well? Where, where, where should we be expecting this group to be? Well, I think this is the same. It's more or less the same team from three years ago. So they haven't changed. They haven't evolved. There's a couple of no, young, new faces in the outside backs. But like the, the kind of belly of that tight five has been the same for... And they haven't made any real adjustments for it. And I, I, I kind of, you know, the Dwayne Peel going on, uh, leaving as the um, attack coach, the defense coach. I wonder how much I was thinking about this, going how much of an impact has him leaving had? Or has this weakness just been there waiting to be exposed? Because I think what's been really, really disappointing, five uh, losses in six games, and there's been no backlash, nothing. There hasn't been any, you know, leadership, like like nobody just going out and grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck and just going, this is just about winning. It's not about putting lovely fancy kicks in the corner, lovely little passages of plays and running the patterns and the mm. shape. It's about winning. And there was nothing there. There was no standing up for the Ulster men. There was, there was no passion. There was nothing on display. And you just wonder what has changed in those in those games and can they change it? Like, I, you can't, like, what's that, the definition of uh, insanity? Like picking the same players to go out that imploded in Italy last week, you've got to you've got to give lads their heads. They've got to give lads their their spend. Anybody that's in that that has any inkling of a form or something in training has to start. Right, you've got to give. You've got to try and find a stimulus from somewhere because shouting at them, at, giving them, throwing them under the bus shouting at them hasn't worked. They haven't done it themselves. So I think the one card left is ch- is change. Okay, versus play them back into form, which is another suggestion out there. But like you can play them back into form for five, for six games, <laughs> well, and it hasn't worked. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Like I, Jacob Stockdale was one of their best players and beat his man time and time and time again, and they consistently cannot get him the ball. Whatever's happened up front, every team now goes. And we're like, what do you like? You would know this when you sense a weakness up front. When you're in the opposition, I've like, and I've been in that team with Paul O'Connell um, with Ireland and with you know Leo. As an outside back, you're just going, oh, I'm not getting this ball. We just I'm a bystander in this win because the pack smells weakness and they just keep going for it and they keep going for it. And that's happening to Ulster now time and time again. And I that could that can be and could be a terminal uh, a terminal diagnosis or prognosis now at this stage. Right. And and to what extent is, is McFarland culpable there for that? Uh like I don't know. And I think that's that will come out in the in, in the wild. I think there's you know, this this like, this will be horrendous. There'll be horrendous hindsight uh, mm. bias and uh, picking through the carcass on all on this on all on this. Um, I did wonder about this a couple of weeks ago that the chopping and changing in the in the tight five particularly um, hasn't done anybody um, a lot of favors, and now the injuries that have come in there as well certainly compounding that. Um, but they've never this season, bar the kind of early start. You know they haven't really been able to deliver as a as a, as a pack, mm. and that's been a worry, and that's been there, and that has been there for a while, and they ha- really haven't done anything to address it. Yeah, I, the point that jumps out that Gordon makes, Keith, above all else, is that things are not perfect in the tight five, and maybe they are missing Peel and 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 Payne, and and there are lots of issues which explain the form, but. He was struck, and others that we've spoken to in the last couple of weeks, struck by the fact that as this losing run has continued, there hasn't been like a line in the sand. We're going to play with ferocious physicality and just not be beaten. Backlash. Instead, it looks like almost energy levels have dipped further and they're almost a bereft side now. 
Oh, they look very shook. And I think the forwards have not been um, anywhere near their best, but I also think that the backs have lost their confidence in, in, in high elements of it as well. I just don't think that they, in times past, even when they were under pressure, they'd magic something. And um, like you're talking about Stockdale, I don't think Stockdale has looked anything like himself either. I know he's not getting the ball as much, but when he does, he's getting caught. Um, the the I, I think the faithful had got used to um, fantastic cutting lines in the back lines, try scored in the corner, something would always happen. Um, okay, it wasn't leading itself to to league victory, but you could see that there was a progression, and now that. I'm not saying the bubble is burst, but the confidence is burst. So, you know, that can be who's going to be able to, you know, rectify that. And so it does fall on the coach and the coach's job is that he has to try and do it. He did give them a bollocking a couple of weeks ago. You can only do that once. You can't keep doing it every week because it didn't work. You know, you like the expectation was that there was going to be a high level of reaction and there wasn't. Mm. So that means that those words didn't work either. Yeah. So they have to rectify it, whatever that is. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, there's something going on here. And as you've alluded to, Gordon, we're going to be waiting a while to find out exactly what's happened behind the scenes. But it's a very interesting story, I suspect, to be told. Uh, fellas, that was great. Thank you both so much. Keith, appreciate it. Cheers, gents. Gordon, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Cheers, Keith. <laughs> Bye, lads. Gordon Darcy, Keith Wood with us. Our rugby and off the ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Oh.